0: Open your Bibles to Ruth, hopefully you're still there, Ruth chapter 4. So good to see each one of you. I don't know if you've ever been in a service where they've read an entire book like that, besides maybe Jude and Philemon, that doesn't really count, but uh, I enjoyed that. Did you enjoy that? That was a blessing. Well, leukemia is a cancer of the body that is painful, and it can be deadly. You might have known someone who's had leukemia, maybe read stories about leukemia patients. Many leukemia patients need a bone marrow transplant at some point, and if they don't get one, then They will languish in the hospital, their pain will increase, they'll become weaker, and then they'll eventually die. And sometimes the only donor, not always, but sometimes the only donor that can match a leukemia patient is a relative. You can go on some websites like I did yesterday and read about some different stories about someone who who kept looking for someone who would be a, a bone marrow donor They couldn't find anyone until they tested one of their siblings, a brother or a sister, and they were a perfect match. And that brother or sister, they donated to them and saved their life. And you could actually say that that sibling who volunteered is a redeemer, a kinsman redeemer. The biblical idea of redeemer is one who is a relative, a next of kin, who comes in to rescue that loved one. In the Old Testament law, God actually instructed the Israelites to redeem their family members. There was different ways that looked like, but the idea was, if you have a relative who has lost all hope, you should come in and try to rescue them. In the Old Testament, you also see this word, redeemer, and the verb redeem used of the Lord, of Yahweh God. It's a title and a work applied to him. Last week, I said that that's the Hebrew word goel or gael. Goel really is the the noun. Gael is the verb. And the idea is, is that God is a redeemer. Redeemer is a name used throughout the Old Testament for those who lost all hope. For those who only saw sorrow in the future. Those who were ruined, those who were enslaved, those who needed to be rescued, they needed a redeemer. The the, the word redeemer, the title redeemer is used of the Lord from people who, who knew there was nothing ahead but death. And so they needed their God, their covenant keeping God to come in and save them. It was used in Genesis chapter 48 verse 16, it was used by Jacob when he remembered when he was in a time that seemed hopeless. In Genesis 48, there he is. Jacob is, is next to uh, Joseph. Joseph is staying next to Jacob and Jacob is dying, is on his deathbed. And he, he blesses Joseph. Remember, Joseph was the, the prince of Egypt. And as he's dying, he blesses Joseph and he remembers that God is his redeemer. He remembered that time when he thought Joseph was dead, when all of his sons went down to Egypt and there was no sons with him anymore. Benjamin, his favorite son at that time, was down there as well. And he thought there was no hope. His family was gonna go down there. They were gonna die. There would be no way to continue on his family name. But yet he trusted at that time, the Lord was his redeemer. This word is found in Exodus chapter number 15 after the Israelites were saved and rescued by God. They, they crossed the Red Sea. They were on the other side. Their enemies were drowning and they began to sing because they remembered how they were slaves. They were in bondage. They were whipped and God came in in his kindness, he redeemed them. He saved them. This name is used of God by Job. Remember Job? Lost everything. Lost his home. Lost his possessions lost all his children, they all died. He lost everything, even his wife turned on him. He he was so sick, he was dying, he was in despair. He had no hope except in the Lord, his Redeemer. And that's when he says, as for me, I know that my Redeemer lives. And at the last, he will take his stand on earth. And even after my body is destroyed, yet in my flesh I will see God. What he's saying, is he's saying, because I know that God is a redeemer, even though my body will die, and it will die, and be destroyed, yet I will be resurrected. That God can defeat death through resurrection. And over and over, in the Old Testament, we see those without hope look to the Lord as their redeemer. You ever been at a place like that right there, where you are without hope. I mean, you're at the bottom. that You really don't see any way forward. Maybe it's your sin. Maybe you're, you're so overwhelmed by your sin, you, you feel like you're imprisoned by it and you don't see any way out. Or maybe it's just your, your fears. You're so afraid of what might happen or what is happening. It's like this big tsunami that's coming at you and, and you see it soon crashing down upon you and you see no escape. In church, many times we have times when we, it, it seems as if we're without hope. But for the believer in Christ, there's never a time without hope because we have a redeemer. When you are without hope, what should you do? Look to the Lord, trust in the Lord. He is the redeemer. When you're without hope, look and trust the Lord your redeemer. We're in Ruth speaking of the redemption of the Lord. The theme of redemption is throughout this book. We see the the characters, the people of this book are looking for redemption. We have Ruth. She needs to be redeemed. I mean, she was this Gentile from Moab. She got married, but then her husband died. They didn't have children. So she's a childless widow in the land of Israel, but she's not from the land of Israel. And in her culture, she had no hope for a future. She was relegated to the lowest of society. Naomi needed to be rescued too. Her her two sons had died. Her husband died. Now she was left without any family. And again, in her culture, she had no future. She was even shamed by her community because of what happened to her. And and then her possessions need to be redeemed. Elimelech um, the, na- the land was in Elimelech's name, and she needed someone to come in, a male heir, rescue that land. But there was another, a part that we see here in the book of Ruth, another thing that needed to be redeemed. And that was actually the family of Elimelech, the, the family tree, the family ancestral line. You see, Naomi and Elimelech came from the tribe of Judah, And you say, well, why is that important? Why is it important that that they come from this tribe and that the the family line continues? Well, in Genesis 49, the Bible prophesies that the scepter would not depart from Judah. In other words, kings would come through the line of Judah. And then someday there would be this king who would come and redeem his people, so herein is the major crisis really of Ruth. And I would say probably this is the heart of Ruth. And that is that their family line is cut off and there's no hope for them. The husband and the sons died. There were no more children and now there was no more hope. Now you might listen to that and you might think to yourself, yeah, I understand like the, the, the widow part and the child part. Like that's, that's the family line. Why is that such a big deal? Right. I mean, I think sometimes don't you struggle with that? Like, what's that's this is this is this is that really that big of a deal? Well, it's really a cultural thing. It was for them. I mean, they actually had records going back hundreds of years of their ancestors, so it was a big deal to them. I mean, I think there's some things in our culture that we do that maybe if we went back then, and showed them some of our things that people would they would say that's that's weird, you know? Right? Like, for instance we have these flags that wave. The American flag, right? And do you, I mean, I don't answer out loud, but do you love the American flag? I mean, some people do. Some people love the American flag, right? And we have, but listen, that's a cultural thing, right? Because if you were to take it back then, they'd be like, you, you wave this flag or, or the constitution. We like the constitution. The point is there's, there's cultural things that we go, yeah, that's very valuable. So I think you got to translate that to your mind that This for them was one of the most valuable things. Your family tree was one of the most valuable things. And so so to lose that was to lose everything. I want to show you this in the book of Ruth, because I think you'll see that this is threaded through the book of Ruth. Go to Ruth chapter 1. Look at verse 12. Remember, this is where Naomi is about to walk back to Israel. She's lost everything, her husband, her sons she's bitter, she believes there's no hope for redemption. So look at verse 12. She says to Ruth and to Orpah, turn back, my daughters, go your way, for I am too old to have a husband. What she was saying is like, no one's going to redeem me. There's no kinsman redeemer that's going to come rescue me. And even so, I'm barren. And that's why she goes on to say, if I should say, I have hope. And then she goes on to say why she doesn't have hope. In other words, she's saying, I'm not going to have anyone's going to rescue me. You guys might as well just go home to, to Moab, get married. And so she had no hope. In fact, look at the end of verse 13. The scripture says, her testimony is that she was exceedingly bitter for your sake, that the hand of the Lord has gone out against me. So she's saying that God has cut down my family tree. And it's not coming back up. And so what's interesting is here she's blaming God for this problem in her life. And here's the crazy thing. God was the one eventually who would redeem her. He was the one she should look to for redemption. And then look down in chapter 2, verse 20. This is really the first time that Naomi sees any hope for redemption. Verse 20, we see, Naomi said to her daughter-in-law, may he, that's Boaz, be blessed by the Lord, whose, now we're speaking of the Lord, the Lord's kindness has not forsaken the living or the dead. Now let's stop right there and think about that. God is going to be kind, potentially, to the dead. What are we talking about? Why the dead? Who are the dead? Well, it's Elimelech, right, in Malon, Chilean. So how might God show kindness to them? Well, by continuing their family line. Okay, so you can see this. This is an important topic here. So what she's hoping is that, that Boaz would marry Ruth. They could have a baby and that, fa- that baby could continue the family tree. Then look down in Roman, uh, Ruth, Ruth chapter 3, verse 13. Ruth, Ruth 3, 13. Boaz agreed to marry Ruth and redeem her and, and Naomi. And then go down to chapter four, look at verse five. This is where we were last week where we saw this Mr. No-Name. Mr. No-Name had the right to redeem. He was a relative. He actually had the first right to redeem, but he was unwilling because he was selfish and greedy. And look at verse five. Boaz said to this Mr. No-Name, the day you buy the field, so if you want to redeem the field from Naomi, the day you buy the field from the hand of Naomi, you also acquire Ruth, the Moabite, the widow of the dead. And why? Why? In order to perpetuate the name of the dead in his inheritance. So this marriage was primarily about saving the family tree. Now, again, stay with me because I think culturally we go, oh, wow, really? Like this is, but this was very, very important for them. In fact, you can see that in, Boaz' announcement to the townspeople that he would marry Ruth. Look at verse 9, chapter 4, verse 9. Then Boaz said to the elders and all the people, and then you look at verse 10, Ruth, the Moabite, the widow of Malon, I have bought to be my wife. Okay, why? Why are you going to marry her? To perpetuate the name of the dead in his inheritance, that the name of the dead may not be cut off from among his brothers and from the gate of his native place. Okay, so do you get the point? What's the point in the book of Ruth here is that there's a crisis and that is that this line of Judah is going to be cut off here at Elimelech and they needed to go on. And Boaz is saying, I'll step in. I will I will carry out this duty of redeemer. So what did it mean for Boaz to be the kinsman redeemer? Well, he rescued Naomi and Ruth from poverty. He He married Ruth and therefore changed her identity and her future. But also it meant that he could give Ruth a baby and their family tree could be redeemed. Then look down at verse 11, because the people then, therefore, of the town recognized this as well. Look at verse 11. Then all the people who were at the gate and the elders said, we are witnesses. And now they're going to praise God. May the Lord make the woman, that's Ruth, who is coming into your house like Rachel and Leah, who together built up the house of Israel, may you act Act worthily in Ephrathah and be renowned in Bethlehem. May your house be like the house of Perez, whom Tamar bore to Judah, because of the offspring that the Lord will give you by this young woman. Okay, so what's the hope here of these townsfolk? It was that the Lord would cause Ruth to have babies, to have offspring like Rachel and Leah. Then again, you look at Rachel and Leah, who are they? Well, they were the matriarchs of Israel. It was like every woman was like, I wish I can, I hope I can have babies like them someday, right? That's what their hope was in here. And Leah and Rachel were married to, to Jacob. So we're going through some history here. They're married to Jacob. Leah had a baby, and that baby's name was Judah. You can see that in verse 12, there's Judah's name. So Leah was the mother of Judah, and from Judah came Perez. So look at verse 12, and may your house be like the house of Perez. Perez was, was born to Tamar and Judah. And we'll talk about them in a little bit. But. So, so the point is this, is that they were hoping that Ruth would be able to continue the family tree by having some more children. And, and praise the Lord. Look at verse 13. This is the, kind of the, it's the whole story builds up, and if you're a little child listening to this back at the time, um, of the of Israel, and you're listening to this story, you wait to this verse, and this is where all the children cheer, cheer and clap because this is kind of the, the pinnacle of the story. Verse 13, so Boaz took Ruth, and she became his wife, yay. And he went into her, and the Lord gave her conception, and she bore a son. Now, I wanna just stop right here and think about this. Think about that verse there, verse 13. Verse 13 is a beautiful picture of a biblical marriage. I mean think about that right there. There is the gift of marriage, verse 13. So Boaz took Ruth and she became his wife. This is very interesting. Genesis 24 or 224, we see the Bible says that a man should leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, they should become one flesh. So the Hebrew word Become, right there, is actually the same one we find in Ruth 4.13, for became. So this is this picture of, of taking Ruth as his wife. This is the picture of marriage here. And so in Genesis 2.24, here we see the, the pattern of marriage. And then and I, I thought you guys were looking it up here on the screen. So I'm sorry, I am like keep pointing up here, but it's actually obviously not up there. And Paul Patinko is writing something and putting it up there for me. But Paul, I don't can't read that from back here, so sorry about that. So we, we have the, the, the picture of marriage in Ruth, and we have the pattern of marriage in Genesis chapter 2, verse 24. I think that this is something that we need to keep saying from the pulpit. When we talk about marriage, what is marriage? What is the biblical idea of marriage? See, see here what we see is a, marriage is a gift from God. Marriage is a gift from God defined by God. How does God define marriage? This is a very controversial thing in our society, right? I'm going to recognize that there's probably the majority here are going to believe and agree with the biblical idea. Some might not. Some might, online might be actually even more opposed to this. But here's what marriage is, according to God's word. Marriage is defined as A union between a man and a woman joined by God in a covenant before God. It's a union between a man and a woman joined by God in a covenant before God. Listen to this. Matthew 19 verse 4 says, He who created them from the beginning made them male and female. So this is Jesus Christ speaking. He's saying, listen, God created man and woman, and he created them what? Male and female. Notice he stops right there. And again, I'm not trying to be smart, Alec, but that's what the scripture says. It, it's a man and a woman. And he created them, and he, what, is, what does he want them to do? Therefore, a man should leave his father and mother and his, uh, and be joined to his wife, and they too shall become one flesh. So there's that Genesis passage again. And so listen to this. So Jesus says this. So they're no longer two, but they are what? They are one. Therefore, what God has joined together, let not man separate. Marriage is not a social construction. It's not something that uh, our society thought was a great idea, so let's do it. It's actually this. It's actually a sacred union. God came up with the idea of marriage. It's a gift from him. It's defined by him. He joins a man and a woman in marriage in a covenant before him. Marriage is not whatever you want it to be. It's not a man and his dog, a man and another man, a woman and another woman, a man and three women. Marriage is God's gift and he defines it. And also notice in verse 13 there, not only is marriage a gift, but you actually see that the physical union of marriage is a gift. He says, so Boaz took Ruth and she became his wife and he went into her. The idea is that that the couple are going into the honeymoon tent and enjoying the physical gift of marriage. The physical union of a husband and wife is, is a beautiful, blessed gift for those who are married. Marriage binds one man to one woman in an exclusive union and communion. They belong only and wholly to one another, to the exclusion of all others. The wife belongs only to the husband. The husband only belongs to the wife. This is 1 Corinthians chapter 7. Therefore, for a man and a woman to join themselves to someone else, Other than their spouse, it's a sin against God. And this is not Pastor Ben's idea. This is not Lighthouse Bible Church. This is actually what the word of God teaches. You can't see this verse up here because I don't, oh, there it is. It's up there. Praise God. There we go. Thank you, Paul Patingo. Shake his hand afterwards. He'll appreciate that. Hebrews 13, three. Let marriage be held in honor among all. Let me just stop right there and think about that. People don't value marriage like, Maybe they used to, definitely not how God's word wants us to. Young people, you should value marriage. It's actually God's blessing for you. We should all value marriage, honor it. And then notice what he says, let the marriage bed be undefiled, keep it pure, for God will judge the sexually immoral and adulterous. In our, in our backyard back there, we have a fence and we have a little doggy. And we let our dog run free in the fence. She's free to go wherever she wants in that fence. But when the fence doors open and she goes out, she's in a dangerous place. There actually are coyotes around here. Do you know that? Actually, I've seen a couple times where our coyotes run across our front yard. One time we saw them in the back area here. Don't scare parents, I guess. Maybe I should have said that. But for my little doggie, I don't want that doggy to get out. Plus, there's cars that go by here. At 60 miles an hour sometimes, it seems like it, I guess. And that's great for making doggies little pancakes on the road. And so we have this fence, and that fence protects that little puppy back there, that little dog. And God has given us a fence, boundaries for physical union, and it's actually the boundaries of marriage. And and he does it for us to enjoy that blessing, but also to protect us. And so to go outside those boundaries of marriage is, is a sin against God, but also it's dangerous. Our world is casting off the restraints of the covenant of marriage. Our world is proclaiming themselves sexually free. And I, and I know I, I say these kind of things in here, and I want you to know that sometimes people might think, you know, well, there's, there's children here, Pastor Ben. Should you be saying this? Honestly, if you're watching cartoons today, this message is being preached to our children. So if you think this is something that's on MTV, you got another thing coming. This is Disney Channel. And our, our young people are encouraged to come out as bi, trans, pan, you know, Justin becomes Bernice. And the world casts off, thus says the Lord, for thus says my true self, like that's the message of our world. My true self, my authentic self. I've always known I was this way. I didn't, I didn't, maybe I didn't know it, but I, I did know it. I kinda didn't know it, but, and, and who's the authority? Thus says my authentic self. But actually what does the word of God say? Thus says the Lord. God is the creator, he knows what is best for our bodies. He's the relational Trinity. He knows what is best for relationships. He's the judge. So he gets to say how things should be. And according to God's word, to unite yourself in your mind. So if you're looking at something on a computer or in body, if you're going somewhere with someone else, that's not your spouse, you are defiling yourself and you're sinning against God. And I'm going to say this, there are probably people listening to me right now, and you are shackled by the sins of the flesh and of the mind. And you're trapped, and you know you shouldn't be doing what you're doing. You know you shouldn't be thinking what you're thinking. And you know you need to be rescued. Let me tell you, that's the message of God's word. He's the redeemer. He can rescue you. And do you realize that the Corinthian church was made up of people who once Lived as sexually immoral people, adulterers, men who practice homosexuality. That's actually in 1 Corinthians chapter six verses nine and 10. So, so when we think about practicing that type of lifestyle, you shouldn't hate those kind of people. You know why? Because we were those kind of people. Like this is not a church of, of goody people, and if you are, go to another church. We are a church of people who are broken. We are a church of people who have come out of lifestyles like we're talking about. We're people who lived outside the fence, who are in danger of hell and of sin, the consequences of our sin. But Christ has snatched us up and brought us into his family. That's why 1 Corinthians 6 says this, such were some of you. And he's not talking about some of you in in Corinth and some of you in In Las Vegas or Los Angeles, he's talking about some of you at Lighthouse Bible Church. And he redeems. That's his work. That's what God does. I'm a sinner. You're a sinner. And only Jesus Christ can save. That's why he says to the church, such were some of you, but you were washed You were sanctified. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ by the Spirit of God. Jesus Christ redeemed with his blood. The Holy Spirit washed and declared you to be a holy child of God. And so the the message for us as Christians is that we are sinners, but we're redeemed by the blood of Christ. And so what's the response we should have as Christians to that? Live however you want. No, live how God has made you to be, what he's called you to be. Ruth and Boaz give us a a biblical picture of a holy, holy marriage. And actually, if you look at verse 13, you see the last gift of marriage, and that is the gift of children. The Lord gave her conception, and she bore a son. After the baby was born, the town's women were all excited. They praised the Lord. A baby was born. Now the family line can continue. And so after a baby is born, what do you do? You go and visit who? The mother-in-law. Yeah, Yeah, nope. (laughs) (laughs) But that's what happens here. I mean, they all go to Ruth, right? And Ruth, congratulations. Can I hold the baby? Can I see it? You know, no, actually they go to Naomi. Look at verse 14. Verse 14. Then the women said to Naomi, blessed be the Lord. Who has not left you this day. What day is that? Well, that's the day the baby was born without a redeemer. And may his name be renowned in Israel. So who was the redeemer for Naomi? It's the baby. And look, look at verse 15. He, this is this baby, shall be to you a restorer of life and a nourisher of your old age. For your daughter-in-law, who loves you, who is more to you than seven sons has given birth to him. Now let me just pause right there and think about that. Like, this, this this society, here's what it was. It was the boys up here, the men were up here, and the women were down here. And isn't it interesting how the Bible, how it puts men and women like this? It's like, actually, Ruth is more valuable than seven. It's a perfect number, right? Seven boys, seven men. Oh, actually, he's saying she's actually more valuable, right? That's really... Um, pretty surprising if you consider what most cultures were like back at this time. God values male and female equal in person. In verse 16, then Naomi took the child and laid him on her lap and became his nurse. She was the all-time babysitter. Verse 17, and the women of the neighborhood gave him a name saying, a son has been born to Naomi and they named him Obed, he was the father of Jesse, the father of David. So, who was the redeemer for Naomi? It was this baby, Obed. And again, how was this baby a redeemer for, for her? Well, a redeemer is one who rescues a loved one from ruin and graces him with a, a new identity and a new future. And that's what this baby did. This baby caused Naomi's name to be remembered, her latter days were filled with joy. But even more important than that, look at the very end of verse 17, and also the very end of verse 22. Whose name is at the very end of verse 17 and verse 22? It's the name David. David was the mighty king of Israel, but also through David came the Messiah, Jesus Christ. So so there are four redeemers in this book. Do you remember who they were? We had Mr. Nobody, he was a worthless redeemer. We had Boaz, he was the willing redeemer. Then you have Obed here, he is the wee little redeemer. Had to do the W thing. But then the last one, who's this last redeemer? I mean, who are we talking about, Pastor Ben? I don't see another redeemer in here, maybe you think that. Well, he's the hidden, but the most obvious, and he is the worthy redeemer He is Yahweh God. You see, what is remarkable about this book that these ladies all wanted redemption, but actually it was the Lord God who redeemed them. Do you realize that throughout this book, when you see the hope of redemption or actually redemption, it's actually the Lord who's causing it to happen? In fact, let me just fly through the book of Ruth and show this. Look at Ruth chapter one, verse six, verse six, Ruth one, six. They have a famine, people are dying, so what happens? Ruth 1.6, it was the Lord, Yahweh, God, who visited his people and gave them food. So Yahweh redeemed them with bread. Look at chapter one, verse 13. Naomi is bitter at the Lord. She blames God, the very end of that verse, the hand of the Lord has gone out against me. And she was right about one thing, that God had caused her pain why? Why do you think God allowed pain in her life? Well, it's actually because he loved her, because he wanted her to look to him as the redeemer. And even though Naomi didn't do that at first, Ruth did. Look at chapter 2, verse 12. Ruth two twelve. Boaz says of Ruth, Yahweh, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. The etymology of the word redeemed, of ga'el, is to cover. It's really the origin of that word. So like a bird covers and protects its young, that's what he's saying here. He's saying, listen, you have come under the covering, under the protection of Yahweh. In other words, you have trusted God as your redeemer. And finally, look at chapter 2, verse twenty. We see that Naomi, she turns her heart to the Lord, looks to him in faith and sees that it's Yahweh's kindness that has not forsaken the living and the dead. Like he actually is the one that if I'm going to be redeemed, we're going to be redeemed, it's going to be by him. And then now look at chapter 4, verse 11. The people recognize that God was the one who redeemed Ruth. Chapter 4, verse 11, says, they say, we are witnesses. And so who is it that redeems May the Lord make the women like the woman Ruth like Rachel and Leah. So in the end of the day, they recognize that it was God who does the work of redemption. How about verse 13? Verse 13, we see that the Lord gave her conception. Isn't that an interesting thing to say? The Lord gave her conception? In other words, who is the redeemer for Naomi? That, that baby that was born, it was from God. And look at verse 14, chapter 4, verse 14. Who do the ladies give credit for redemption? And the women said to Naomi, Bless be the Lord who has not left you this day without a redeemer. It's the Lord who provided a redeemer. So who is the redeemer here really in the book of Ruth? There's a lot of human redeemers, but really ultimately the Lord is the true redeemer. In fact, if you just think through all these people in this, in this list here of the genealogies, look at the end of chapter four, you look at those genealogies, you look at that. How about chapter four, verses 11 and 12? You see these people, which you recognize that all these people in here, they needed to be redeemed. I mean, Ruth was a cursed Gentile, far from God, but she was redeemed by the Lord into his covenant family. uh, Naomi was a bitter Israelite, angry at God, but she was redeemed by Yahweh and blessed with provision. I mean, even Boaz, you're like, oh, nothing's wrong with Boaz. Did you know that Boaz came from a harlot? I mean, that was his his background. His his great-grandmother was Rahab, the harlot. Remember her? Remember, she was the one in Jericho with all the other people in Jericho. They're worshiping idols. They're they're living lives of immorality. She's actually selling herself to other men. And then this, this group of people, the Israelites, come with this God, Yahweh, and she trusts in Yahweh as her redeemer, and God saves her. And she actually marries a guy named Salmon. In fact, look down in verse 20. You can see him down there in verse 20. What about Leah there? Remember Leah in verse 11? I mean, certainly Leah was this clean-cut person. Well, she actually lied in order to get married to Jacob. She needed to be redeemed. Or how about Judah? Oh, Judah, the tribe of Judah. What a wonderful guy, Judah. Well, he acted wickedly. He allowed his son to marry a Canaanite named Tamar. So he broke God's law in that regard. Then Tamar's husband dies. And so he's supposed to get a kinsman redeemer to to marry her. And and so he has his son do that, but his son refuses. And so God strikes him dead, judges him. And then so basically Judah, Judah backs off and says, Well, I'm not gonna have another son. I have one more son. I'm not gonna have him, you know, do anything here because what's gonna happen to him? So he disobeyed Judah, Judah disobeyed God again in that. And so Tamar tricked her father-in-law into incest, and the result is Perez. Look down in verse 12. I mean, Perez there is a result of an incestuous relationship between Judah and Tamar. I mean, there's so much sin in these genealogies, I don't even know where to start, right? I mean, the whole thing needs to be redeemed. And that's the whole point, that there's nobody in this line that could look at it and go, you know what, I'm a good person. This was a good person. It's like they all got tainted pasts. They all have hearts that need to be redeemed. And here's the amazing grace of God's redemption, that he is the one who redeems the hopeless, the downcast, those who need to be rescued. I mean, look at the end of verse 17, the end of verse 22. There's David. Oh, David, the great king. He committed adultery and killed the, the, Bathsheba's husband to cover it up. That's not great. So what we see here is that when you're without hope, we're to trust in the Redeemer who saves and who are those ones who are without hope. It's all of us. It's not those outside there need to be redeemed. It's that we need to be redeemed. And if we, if we trust in Christ, we are redeemed. And we invite others to be rescued by him as well. And the whole point of genealogies is to say this, this person lived a life, they're a sinner, and they died as God promised would happen. Because the soul that sins will die. Not just physical death, but the soul will die. In other words, the soul will be separated from God forever. So the soul that sins will die. And so the point of genealogy is to say, this person lived, they died, and then they had a son. He lived, and he died, and he had a son, he lived. And none of those people can save themselves. But the other point of it, the genealogy is to say, but there's someone that's going to come, and he's going to live, and he's going to live a perfect life. And he's gonna die by his own choice, and he's gonna defeat death through resurrection. And who is that redeemer? Jesus Christ. Isaiah 59:20 promised: a redeemer will come to Zion, will come to Jerusalem. So will you go with me to Matthew chapter one? I want to close here. Because the Father did send a Redeemer, it was his own son, to be born, to live, to die to pay the price for sin's penalty of death and then to rise again. So who is the Redeemer? Look at the beginning of Matthew chapter one. Better get there myself. The book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ. There's the Redeemer. And then notice some of these names in verse 1. You got David. Look down in verse number 2. We got Jacob. We talked about him and Judah. In verse 3, Judah and Perez. And then you have Tamar. I mean, here's all these people we've been talking about, right? And you look down in verse 5. You have Simone, the father of Boaz, by Rahab. In Boaz, the father of Obed, by Ruth and Obed the father of Jesse, and Jesse, the father of David, the king. And it kind of, when you read this, it's kind of like all these boring facts, but then you recognize who these people were, and you go, they had some really sinful histories here. But yet, you fast forward from David's time a thousand years, and then there comes Jesus. Look at verse 16. And Jacob, the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, of whom Jesus was born, who is called the Christ. And, th- and this account here records a time when Joseph, who was engaged to Mary, much like Ruth and Boaz, where they had this honorable engagement, they they, they, they kept themselves and saved themselves for the marriage that was going to happen in the future. They were honorable to the Lord in that regard. And this is what the life of Mary and Joseph was like, and so when Mary comes and tells Joseph that I'm pregnant of the Holy Spirit, it's a miracle, obviously, who would believe that? So in this text, he's wrestling with this. He's thinking, I I need to break this off. I can't do this. I I have to do the right thing here. And then in a dream, this angel comes and says, no, actually, it's true. There's, There's a miracle that's taken place. Mary is a virgin who has conceived of the Holy Spirit. Then look down what the scripture says in verse number 21. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, which means the Lord is salvation. And why is he coming? For he will save his people from their sins. Listen, friends, right there, that's redemption. He's coming to redeem, he's coming to rescue. He came to live a life that you could not live. And he came to die the death that you deserve to die. And then he rose again and defeated death. And he stands at the right hand of the father. And listen, his call to you is that he wants to save you. And listen, maybe you're in here and you feel the weight of your sin upon you. I mean, maybe as I've been talking this morning, but maybe even as you just think about it right now, you think through some of those things you're struggling with and you just feel the weight of guilt upon you, the weight of God's law. I mean, you think about your life this past week and the past couple of weeks and your life is a constant life of strife. You're fighting with people. You're, you're saying words to try to hurt people and you go to bed at night. You feel bad about that. Or, or you're addicted to something or you're trapped by something and you feel like you can't get out of that. When you are without hope, who are you to look to? The Redeemer. Jesus came to save sinners. And what did Paul say? Of whom I'm chief, right? No person in this room can stand up here and say, he came to save sinners, that's you and not me. It's all of us. And if you're in here without Christ, listen, he came to rescue your soul. And he says, all you have to do is call upon him. He doesn't say, try to save yourself, try to be a better person you know, have this kind of marriage and you're going to go to heaven, this kind of life and you're not. He doesn't say that. He says, we're all doomed because of our sin and we all need a savior and we need to cry out to Christ. And he says, if we cry out in faith that he will rescue us. And so please, if you're in here without Christ, would you call on him today? And then what about us Christians who have said, we are sinners, but saved by grace. We are redeemed. What does this mean for us? But we are right now waiting. We're waiting. As that song we sang earlier said, we're waiting for him to come. We're waiting for the blessed hope, for the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. We're waiting for that redeemer to come and who gave himself for us to what? To redeem us from all lawlessness. We were those ones who were living outside that fence. We we're outside of God's law and to purify for himself a people for his own possession, who are what? Zealous for good works. We are redeemed, which means what? We should live that way. We're not better than other people. We're just as much sinners as other people are. We're just in much need to be redeemed as other people are. But because Christ has redeemed us, he's, he's sanctified us, he's declared us righteous, he's given us the gift of his son's righteousness, and he did that, so we would be zealous to do good works. So what is the response of a Christian who's redeemed? It's going. It's telling people that Christ has redeemed me. He can redeem you. It's going and doing the works that Christ has called us to do. So the question is, are you redeemed? And if you are redeemed, are you living as a redeemed person by the grace and power of God?